day It's a getting closer Going faster than a roller coaster Love like yours will surely come my way Hey there, how's it going? This is Mike Friedman from Critical Mass. I'm in the offices of Positive Money with creators Ben Dyson and Ben Curtis. Today we're going to be talking about their project, the Positive Money for a Better UK project. How's it going, guys? Good, thanks, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good, brother. I'm good. So do you want to tell me a little bit about your project, what you're doing here? Yeah, so we, we formed Positive Money in 2009, almost exactly a year ago in May. Um, after both studying economics at university and uh, becoming somewhat disenchanted with the profession, from, from my uh, from my point of view, I studied um, international relations with economics. And one of the things my international relations lecturers told me was to to never ignore the the political dimension of any of any uh, economic system or economic theory or system of regulation. And the more I found out about uh, fractional reserve banking, I realised that it was a uh, deeply harmful system and it had uh, polit- political connotations for you know for power and democracy and very very severe effects on the environment and and the housing market and big implications for poverty and we found uh, we found there was no specific NGO set up in the UK to specifically deal with these issues and to tackle the problems with uh, fractional reserve banking causes so so we set up the organization Ben started working full-time from around around May and I joined in in September in September 2010 and we've been we've been going ever since and Ben will tell you a bit bit about the progress we've made in the past year yeah Ben number two Ben Dyson yeah we've uh so we've only been running around 11 months now but in in that time we've gone from you know having absolutely nothing not even having a name to you know in the last year we've been working with the government's independent banking commission We've presented our ideas to the Treasury, um, and we're we're starting to get some you know attention from the media, from from MPs, um, because basically we're coming with a a different solution to the banking crisis, and one that nobody else seems to have considered, or very few people seem to have considered, particularly not the authorities. For those of our listeners out there in internet land who uh, who aren't British or don't live in the UK. Why is this not just a British problem? Well, the, um, I mean, the problem that we're trying to, to deal with is, is the way that money is created. And, you know, most people don't really question where money comes from and who decides how much money there should be in the economy. Um, but the way the system actually works is that money is, the money that we use now, the numbers in your bank account, were created by commercial banks, effectively when they make loans to ordinary people. So all those, you know, whatever the balance of your bank account is, it doesn't really represent real money that was created by the government or the state or the Bank of England or the, the Fed. It's just numbers that were typed into computer systems when people went into debt. If you look at a, um, if you look at a £10 note or a £20 note, then you'll see the Bank of England on it. But what a lot of people don't actually realise is that just under 3% of the money that's created in the UK is actually notes and coins and the other 97% is created by banks and the only way that banks create money is by is by making loans. So one of the important implications is for this is that all of this money that's created as a loan is in the form of a debt. So 
that means that if anybody's going to be one pound out of debt, if anybody's going to have a million pounds in their bank account, there needs to be a million pounds of debt somewhere else in the economy. The total amount of debt now in the economy out, out you know, outranks the amount of money. So when you took a look at this system, what ideas do you bring to the uh, to the problem? What are you suggesting? What here? we're suggesting is that high street banks shouldn't have the, the power to create money. Um, we're actually suggesting that the, the state now, or the government, needs to take back the power to create money. I mean, we, we all know it's illegal to print your own £10 notes at home. You'll get the police coming through the door at 2 a.m. in the morning. But the law that makes it illegal to do that has never been updated to take account of the fact that the vast majority of money now is, is just digital. You know, it's all numbers and computer systems. So what we're saying is, you know, the law's outdated. We've got to update that law, and we've got to take control over creating money away from the banks, because we've seen how how poorly they've managed that responsibility over the last you know ten years, um, with the the massive house price bubble, the risky lending, um, all the speculation, and you know, we've seen what that leads to. Banks are obviously getting a huge free lunch out of the ability to create money, and. There's two real problems. It's how money is created and who, who benefits from that, and how does it get into the economy. So at the moment, it gets into the economy through being loaned, and obviously there's no democratic control over the process of a loan. When you go to a bank, then they decide whether it's good for them, and the, the sole motive is profit. And we feel that if something as key to society as money, which is mandated into existence by the government, should be created by anybody, then it should should work in everybody's interest, not just in the interests of whoever's whoever's making a loan. So it's almost as if the system that we have now benefits a limited number of people who know how to game it, and the majority of people who are subjected to the vagaries of that system either don't know that there is a problem, don't know what that problem is, or don't know what can be done to fix it. If you want to deal with any of these problems like poverty, debt, inequality, the breakdown of the environment, you really have to start looking at money because money controls everything we do, you know? So it's, it's crucially important that we understand where this money comes from and who's deciding how that money will be used. Yeah. So essentially there's two, there's two real ways you can get somebody interested in this if they, if they care about, if they care about so, social issues, you know? There's the carrot and the stick. You can either tell them that private banks are creating this, that it's distorting the economy, it was responsible for the financial crisis, which is... Uh, ruined many people's lives and that this system that, that's uh, never been chosen by anybody particularly, um, democratically at least, is not working in their interests at all. And then the other option is to say, well, look, private, private banks created £122 billion last year. That's the entire budget of the NHS. Imagine what we could do for society if that money was available for, for the public good. Or imagine the amount of slack we would have in the system if that money was available without the interest needing to be paid back. Well, that's another matter entirely, and that's kind of, you know, that, that's further into things. But once you've hooked someone's attention by asking them to imagine the possibilities and to imagine what the, what the potential damage is of letting the system continue, then, then you can go on to explain that, well, it gets better and worse. One thing that I've found since making this film and reading about all this stuff and speaking to people who are disturbingly smarter than me is the depth of the solution is directly related to how long you're willing to ask the question why you know if you say well 
we have pollution. Why? Because we drive cars, fly airplanes, and burn fossil fuels. And then people stop there. Then, okay, well, then there the solution is we drive less, we fly less, and we burn less fuel. But then if you say, well, why do we do all those things? And then you say, well, we have this intricate system of global trade that moves goods and services and food from one place to another. And every layer, if you ask, why are we doing that? Why is it like that? Why is it like that? It seems like the gingerbread trail always goes back to the haunted cottage of central banking. Power, power relationships and power systems tend to be at the heart of many of the, the problems in society is that there's a, an imbalance of power and certain people are abusing that power for their own benefit. And I think... Imagine that, shock horror. <laughs> and I think democracy is, uh, is at the, uh, the heart of the solution to many of these problems. I mean, money is... One of the one of the uh, for many people is on the the last of their list of things that need to be democratized. But for us, it's the first because it's right at the heart, right at the very roots of some of these very serious problems. Well, I suppose if if money is what is used to enable the majority of activity in the world, and if the people who have it, who have access to it, who can wield it, who can use it to their own ends, can get ahead by knowing how to do that and the manner in which that... It's almost shamanic, isn't it? It's, it's like a totem. Like, he who wields the totem knows. You know, like Mervyn King gets up on a platform and he talks about things, and he's the chairman of the Bank of England, and we all have to listen to him because he knows how to, uh, he knows how to speak to the money god who can... Well there's, well, there's an interesting analogy there. It's something that we've... Um, a story that we've talked about before, and it's uh, that there's this, this magic box that always exists somewhere, and out of this magic box, anybody can, can pull new money out of the box. They can use this, this magic box to create money. And over, over centuries, kings and private banks have fought for control of this box. And it's now, it's now and that's certainly in the hands of the private banks, in the, in the hands of private interests. And if you totally hand over control power of the box to governments or kings, then they're probably going to abuse it for their own benefits as well. So. The best solution is to, to put this box on a totem right in the center of society so that everybody knows exactly where it is, how it's being used, and who's using it. And in a practical sense, that comes from giving the power to create money to an independent, transparent body, such as the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England, and making sure that we can see exactly what they're doing. You know, We know how much money they're creating and, and where that money's going. In practical terms, you'd probably have a, a website where you can see exactly how much money is being created that day or that week or that month or that year and then you'd be able to to weigh up whether the inflation that was caused by creating too much of it was really worth it and as inflation tends to tends to be a poor form of taxation to say the least it's a very unfair form of taxation people won't stand for it and as soon as you can use democracy to solve these problems then you can kick those guys out and vote in somebody else who's not going to abuse their their power you know at the moment there's no transparency you have Essentially, the psychology and the decisions of guys at the head office of Britain's biggest banks decide effectively how much money is in the economy because they decide the lending priorities and the criteria for all their staff and how much their staff lends determines how much money there is in the economy. You guys do presentations to the public. You do presentations to MPs. You do presentations at universities. What kind of reactions do you get? Yeah, people, people tend to get it. It's... It can be a difficult, difficult concept sometimes, but people really start to understand it. And it's something that's so relevant to everything that's happening in the world right now, 
that people need to understand it. Um, what we found with, with members of parliament is the vast majority just don't understand this. And that's not really their fault, like, because to, under, to really understand this, you have to either be lucky enough to stumble over one of a small selection of books, or you have to spend the best part of six weeks going through documents from the Bank of England to try and piece it all together. And that the Bank of England doesn't have a document that tells you how money is created and where it comes from. They have, you know, thousands of different papers, and you have to take a sentence from this and a sentence from that, and eventually you'll get an understanding of how the system works. But, you know, most, well, no MP has the time to do that. Most academics haven't had the time to do that. And you feel that with the research that you and your team have done over the past year or 18 months that you guys have been doing this, do you think that you know how it works now? I mean, do you think, like, you're still finding out, oh, wait, we missed this document, and at the bottom in footnote paragraph three it well, says... It tends to be a case of every every question you answer brings up three that, uh, three new questions, which is, I'm sure, the case with many complex systems. But we're getting to the point now where we do know more or less exactly how it works. And, in fact, the we're, uh, Drew, our research is working on a, a, a project with the New Economics Foundation to find out exactly how the money system works, and this is going to be an authoritative document that will be signed off by the Bank of England and can be effectively used as a reference for anybody who wants to know exactly how the money system works. And you guys aren't taking an adversarial position here. You've actually been in contact with the Bank of England and with the, Internet, the Independent Money Commission and the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we've, we've had some discussions with them, you know, by letter and um, I've had a debate with a member of the Monetary Policy Committee, but it's it's quite out far their it's quite outside their you know realm of work. They're basically, particularly people like the FSA and the um, the Banking Commission are really more concerned with how you patch up the existing system and let the banks go back to business as usual. I mean, the the Independent Commission on Banking, their mandate was to improve competition and stability in the banking system, and I mean, yeah improve competition and stability, they're good things, but there's so much more wrong with the banking system to investigate and so much more wrong with money that really that mandate was far too narrow in response to an event that was so serious as the financial crisis. And this is again something we're working on. We're working on a campaign to to change the terms of the debate really, to, to open a full public inquiry instead of the Royal Commission format into, into this issue. Because it's also, it's a framing problem. Like you said, if, if the remit is a very narrow one, then they're not going to look into other parts of it that fall outside of the, yeah, the these parameters. these difficult questions just tend to get pushed aside because, uh, again, you know, they're, they're, they're busy people, they have other, other jobs as well, and this isn't within their, their narrow focus. So despite the importance, it's, it's just getting pushed to one side at the moment, but this is, again, something we're, we're working on. A, a friend of mine on Facebook sent me a, a link to this this listening exercise they did for the NHS, right, where they set up a website and they invited people to go and do a survey to give their opinions on what should happen with the NHS. Um, and he said, you know, he sent it to him and he said, you know, here, you can make your feelings known. And I went and I read through the questions. And what astounded me was the way the questions were framed completely eliminated any genuine opposition because the actual questions themselves automatically took the basic principles of what they were proposing as a given. So it wasn't, do you think the NHS should be opened up to private money and competition? It was, how do we ensure that the NHS is opened up to competition without 
having a bad side. And it's always framed in this way that how do we do it the way we want it so that you can feel that you got to choose rather than how do we do it? And what you're talking about with the money is exactly like that. It's never about how should we create money? What should money be used for? It's how do we keep what we've got going going and override any rising sense of objection or disenfranchisement from the people. I think the problem is um, they're too focused on avoiding discontent rather than creating contentedness in the most, in the, in the most open manner possible, I think. I mean, uh, competition and stability have been kind of buzzwords in, in the media to do with this, and I think that, that, was, that this is largely to do with uh, why the Commission's remit has been so narrow, but I think it's time for real, true innovation in government and to really think about how we can make society better in this, in this way when it comes to money. Well, I mean, the, the, the competition thing cracks me up because it, it's kind of like saying that it's legal to beat people to death in the street. And some people are doing it with wooden baseball bats. And some people want to do it with aluminium baseball bats. And so people are saying, well, we should make it legal for people to use any kind of implement because then the people making and selling the instruments can can compete with each other. And so the discussion becomes about what people are allowed to beat other people to death with rather than whether they should be doing it in the first place. And to put it in slightly less uh, violent terminology... <laughs> um, it's kind of like you're trying to promote competition within a completely closed system that works for everybody within that system, and more competition is only going to make it work better for the people within that have access to that closed system of bank reserves and the ability to create money, and it's not really going to have any impact on, on the wider public in the grand scheme of things, considering the other potential um, money systems that are out there. I mean, just to give you an impression, just to give you an idea of how much the economic mainstream is kind of locked into their particular mindset. We had a crisis that was caused by people being too much in debt. You know, people stopped being able to pay their mortgages and that led to the defaults and then the wave of bank failures that led to the full-blown crisis. So the response to that, you know, crisis was caused by too much debt. So the response of the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve was to lower interest rates to encourage people to borrow more, to go in further into debt. So that, you know, th this is a system we work in. Like, the only way when we have all money created by commercial banks, the only way we can get more money into the economy is to borrow it from the banks. So when people get over-indebted and it leads to a whole crisis, the only w mechanism that the banks have to stimulate the economy now is to continue lending and to try and you know, get people even further into debt so that they can spend that debt-based money, which will then stimulate the economy again. It never occurs to them that they could change the system so that money isn't created as debt and just put debt-free money in. I mean, for example, quantitative easing, um, they created £200 billion and effectively pumped that into the banking system so that the banks could then lend it to us. If they'd have just created that money and given you know, every registered voter a £4,000 check, which is what it would have funded pretty much, um, we'd have been out of a recession within six months. You know, that money would have been spent on the high street, it would have been spent paying down debts. That would have stimulated the recovery. And yet, instead, we're, we're still, you know, pretty much in a, in a double-dip recession. But then this also gets points towards the heart of what money is for, right? Because if money is there in order to enable the everyday Joe and his family 
to have nice things, to live right, relatively comfortably, to not have to spend sleepless nights worrying about the mortgage or about the gas bill, then what you're describing would be pretty much a no-brainer. If money is there in order to consolidate power in the hands of those who know how to manipulate it, then that's a disastrous proposition. Because what you're talking about then is essentially bypassing the middleman. And, I mean, th this astounds me as well, talking about the Federal Reserve in America, where the Fed has a discount window where banks borrow money from the Fed and then lend it back in or use it to buy assets. But if the Fed just lent, even with debt, lent money from the discount window at the Fed direct to the American people, but at 0.3% interest instead of what the American banks charge, again, even that would be preferable to the way it is now. Yeah. So it seems just like this consistent... In this consistent desire to maintain the position of power that those who channel money into the system have held for so long. But it, but it also feels like we are reaching a, a breaking point both in what amount of debt the system can sustain and also what people are willing to put up with. Yeah, we're, we're definitely reaching a breaking point. I mean, have you ever seen one of those old houses that have been badly built you know, a few hundred years ago and they're starting to fall down? And you can see what happens over time. First thing, they put those metal bars right through the building and the big steel things on either side to support the building. And then after a while, they start putting up wooden structures at either side to hold the walls in. And that's pretty much what the system that we have now is. It's, it's something that's developed over time. It's got weaker and weaker and starts to fall apart. And every time something goes wrong, they just piece some more bits together to support it, which is why the Bank of England has like five different schemes for propping up the banks. Um, what we need to do is just recognize that the, the structure of the whole system is, is fundamentally unsound. Like modern day banking is fundamentally unsound. Just you know, scrap that and then reform it and we'll have a banking system that actually works in the interest of society instead of just in the interest of the banks. Yeah, one of the things that people sometimes say to us is that, well, look, look at where fractional reserve banking has got us now. And we say, well, yeah, exactly. Look where we are now. <laughs> yeah. So, what the, we understand, obviously, what they really mean is that um, that the ability to to create credit is uh, has been a useful thing in the past, and it's kind of uh, enabled enabled business to grow, and it's enabled the economy to grow at a very very p fast pace. But in the twenty first century, with the levels of inequality that that exist now, and the potential to to really drive things forward with the 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 upcoming energy crisis, as you as you know full full well, we really need to to fix money. Or when when we do encounter these problems, then the instability of the money system is going to manifest itself in very very serious ways. So, getting back to your analogy of the unsafe building, they never worry about the fact that it's built on quicksand. Exactly. So, it, exactly. no matter what happens, if there's an earthquake, the house goes. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what we found a few years ago in 2008 was we shouldn't have had that big of a crisis if we had a fundamentally sound system that hit a speed bump. You know, if you look at the, the OPEC crisis or the Great Depression, these were quite big hiccups in the system, but the system always kept moving in a direction. And it feels like all of this debt, all of this constant steroids pumping into the system to keep it live, keep it going, we are simply getting to the point where we're only ever going to be a cripple on a respirator rather than actually a healthy creature. 
Yeah, I mean, we've we've reached the end of the line with the current banking system. You could maybe keep it on life support for another uh, maybe five, maybe ten years if we're lucky. But you know, it's it's reached the end of its useful purpose. And um, I mean, what's happening now is we've got governments bailing out banks, and you know, everybody's bailing each other out and trying to trying to keep everything afloat without really trying to get to the to the root of the problem and just to rebuild the whole thing on, on, on sound foundations. I mean, when when the US government and other governments try to print themselves out of out of misery, then, you know, that's really the last vestige of a, of a failed government and they really need to start looking at, at, the, at the root causes of these problems if they really want to, 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 fix, the, to fix them. Towards the end of last year, when, when the press started to feel that we were getting out of a recession and things were going back to normal, um, I said that we were basically in the eye of the storm. You know, you have a hurricane, you have the first wave, and then you've got this quiet period in the middle, and then suddenly it comes again. And sometimes, you know, on the second wave of the hurricane, you've uh, everything's so much weaker and the damage has already been done that the second time around can be so much worse. Um, so what we have now is you, you're starting to see things accelerate. Again, we had Ireland going for a second bailout, uh, Portugal's gone for a second bailout. You know, Spain is p- saying they won't need to, but... Well, that means they, they will. Go. They will, yeah. <laughs> you know, Italy could be next. America is fundamentally bankrupt. Um, it's, you know, we, we need to recognize that. And we don't like talking about the fact that America has defaulted on its debt before. That's something not many people like mentioning. It has happened. It can happen again. It's not completely unheard of. It happened in 1933 in order to fund the New Deal. Roosevelt basically repudiated America's outstanding debts. Another way of ostensibly uh, defaulting on your debt is to try and to try and print your way out of it, which is, in in my opinion, a lot of what the the, the American quantitative easing program is about. And it's, the markets are beginning to show signs that that they're aware of this. I mean, there's been noise recently that China are looking to reduce their U.S. debt. Uh, portfolio to about one trillion um, from its current level of about three trillion. So this is obviously pretty disastrous for the Americans and um, other central banks around the world. I'm, I've, I'm hearing uh, beginning to to try and get out of the dollar as well. So so you know things things are pretty bad. Well, okay, Poindexter, spell it out for me. How do we fix it? It's easy to say we need to just replace the system with something that doesn't suck. It's easy to say that what we've got now is fundamentally unsound and it's being gamed by a bunch of bastards. None of that gets any argument from me. How do we fix it? Answers on a postcard. Tell me. It's, it's actually pretty simple. You make a few simple changes to the banking system. Um, nothing revolutionary. Firstly, as a member of the public, when you go to your bank, you'll have two options, which is either you give your money to the bank and say, look, I want this kept safe. Don't want you to gamble it, you know. I don't want you to lend it to anybody in subprime America. Just keep my money safe for when I come back for it. Or you go to your bank and you say, look, I want this money invested. I understand there's going to be some risk, um, and I want some interest on that. And basically, you've got the choice of actually having, you know, your money actually kept safe by the bank or it being invested. Whereas at the moment, every, you know, every penny you put into the bank will be invested or gambled or lent to somebody. Um, so the first thing is you, you stop them gambling your money without your permission and you make sure that you know you give them permission for what you do want to be invested. Um, what that does then is, is stop them from creating new money as they use your money to make loans. Um, 
then because you've stopped the banking sector from creating this new money, you kind of have a, a bit of a gap. You know, you need, if you have a, a car, you need to keep putting oil in the engine just to keep th things ticking over. Um, so what you want to do then is put money in in place of the banks um, at a slower rate because they've been putting far too much money into the system, you know, going up to the crisis. So you would have somebody like the Bank of England creating new money, but debt-free, um, with you know really strict constraints. So it, they they couldn't just start printing like Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe, um, but they would put money into the system by basically giving that money to the government, so that the government could then use it either to to fund public spending or to fund tax cuts. Um, so, for example, one of the things you could do with this money is cut taxes on everybody who's earning below you know the the minimum living wage and you could take all those people out of tax so that they would have a higher standard of living one of the uh, one of the main objections we get to this is oh you can't print money because it causes inflation well really you you can print money without causing any inflation as long as you only print as much as the economy is growing by so you know if we're having two or three percent growth over here you can more or less print two, two or three percent uh, extra money and then you don't cause any inflation. So really what you're talking about is what money is for. If money is there in order to enable a certain level of activity and enterprise in a community or a country, then you simply meet the demand with what is needed. If the purpose of the money system is to benefit itself at the cost of the community or country, then you do it the way we've been doing it. Is mm -hmm. that pretty much the long yeah. and the short of it? The money system is kind of confused at the moment because you've got the, the payment system and the, the lending system kind of intertwined. So people are making payments with money that's uh, making payments with money that's also on loan to somebody else and it's kind of all right as long as everybody thinks it's all right and then as soon as, uh, as soon as there's any kind of, as you said, like a speed bump then it all seems to fall apart and that's becoming more and more serious as it is. So really what we need to do is separate out the loan system from the payment system. If you want your money to be to be able to be spent, then it needs to be in your digital wallet, in the bank account. You can't uh, not have it and say, "Oh yeah, I do have it." You know, it needs to be it needs to be there in a in a transaction account that's not on loan to anybody, not earning interest. And the money that you want to to loan to somebody gets gets loaned to someone. It's pretty much we're trying to make banking work how everybody thinks it works now. A logical reaction might be, well, you know, maybe we could just use cash, and then we'd boycott the banking system by only using cash. But the reality is that the way we get cash into the system is by buying it from the banks after they've bought it from the Bank of England. So the Bank of England sa sells a £10 note to your high street bank. And then when you go to your ATM, you're not actually taking your money out of the ATM. You're buying a £10 note with the 10 you know, units that were in your bank account. So your bank account balance goes down. You have 10 less there now, and you have a £10 note. When the government creates a £10 note, it only costs it maybe three or four pence to actually print that note. So it sells the note to the bank of it, to the commercial bank for the face value. So it sells a, a note that costs it three pence to produce for £10. And the profit it makes on that then goes to the Treasury. So it can be used to fund public services again. Um, and that reduces how much taxes we have to pay. Now, in the last uh, in the last ten years, basically from from that process of of creating and selling money to the banks, um, the treasury's raised eighteen billion pounds, which is uh, a process called seniorage, and it means that we don't have to pay eighteen billion pounds in tax. 
But because it's given the banks the power to create digital money, and the banks have created £1.2 trillion over the last 10 years, then it means we've paid £1.2 trillion of taxes that we wouldn't have needed to pay otherwise. We could have had a two-year tax holiday for businesses, for individuals, for, for corporates, and um, you know, still had all the government services we had. You know, there was, the banks have created enough money to pay off the entire national debt. But they've used it for, <laughs> they've used it for short-term irresponsible lending, and it's got us to where we are now. Okay, so tell me what you guys have coming up next. Yeah, we, um, one of the things we've been working on for a while is, is to clarify exactly how the system works. Because you know, one of the barriers to people really getting involved in this is, um, particularly for economists and MPs, is that there's just no definitive guide to how the system works. And a lot of economists are confused and they contradict each other. So uh, we're, we'll be shortly, uh, you know, the New Economics Foundation will be releasing a guide to exactly how this entire system works. So that we, then we've got clarity on you know, the foundations. Um, we'll be doing a lot more videos to make it easier for people to understand this because you know it is a complex subject, but you know we're figuring out how to make it easy. Um, we're doing in partnership with somebody else a people's petition for a, a genuine public inquiry into the banking crisis. So it won't be a inquiry that's staffed by former bankers and industry figures. You know, it, it so should called be, experts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It should be, you know, people who actually really want to get to the heart of it rather than, you know, people who just want to let the banks go back to business as usual. And there's another another important thing that that we that we advocate is that is it you you there should be a much better relationship with your bank when, when deciding how your money is used. I mean, if people are explicitly aware that they need to to make some kind of agreement with their bank to actually lend their money that they put in the bank, and it's not just a case of you put your money in the bank and it will be lent out. If you need to decide, yeah, I want my money to be put on loan, then people are going to be having a much more um, direct relationship with uh, with their loans. So when you go to your bank, then people will ask the question, where's my money going? What are you going to use it for? And we can envision the market providing for all sorts of ethical loan ethical loan bases and, and, and so on. And, you know, I think that... Or perhaps even a terms and conditions with little boxes where you can tick what you're willing for it to be used for. Yeah, you, exactly. You may invest my money in agriculture. You yeah. may invest it in information technology. And we can imagine that the box for the arms trade is probably <laughs> going to fall further down the list and not be so frequently ticked, which is a good thing because, I mean, there's a relationship between between money and and ethics, and it's, it seems to have been left by the wayside, but when people take control of their of their money and what their financial power is, then I think that companies that, that destroy the environment and companies that produce weapons and sell them to people are going to find it much harder to get financing once once the people that are in control of where that money goes are the people and not the, uh, the people who create the money in the first place. So if we have a system where money is how power is exercised or lubricated, and that power is exercised or lubricated by people, you'll have a slightly you know, healthier system. system. Yeah, you know, the system should, in theory, work work uh, better for people than it does now. Which, well, working better than it does now isn't that hard, but hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can get there. Yeah. So listen, guys, uh, thanks for thanks for talking to me today. Is there uh, any information you want to share with the, uh, the dozens of people that will hear this about your website or anything? Um, well, yeah, our website's www.positivemoney.org.uk, and I'd also... Tell people to watch out for the Banking on Change campaign to uh, to bring about a full public inquiry into the banking system coming out in the next in the next month or so. Well, there you have it. 
That's uh, Ben Curtis and Ben Dyson from Positive Money doing some fine, hard work with the dry science of economics. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. No problem. Take it easy, guys. Good work and Godspeed. Mm -hmm.